Well, we're uh, going to start our, our new series today. I alluded to it last week, um, but just particularly, um, we, we may not do this every single Sunday, but between now and uh, Easter, uh, we're really going to look at the person, the life, the work of Jesus. This is Jesus. That's our theme. That's our phrase. Uh, that's where we'll be going with all sorts of things that we can talk about and look and learn about Jesus. And uh, I will introduce the, the particular theme that I want to do uh, today in just a few minutes. But um, I was reminded this week of a, an audio recording that did the rounds some, some years ago. Some of you will remember it. Some of you will have heard of it. And uh, I sought it out on YouTube and thought, oh, yeah. And I thought, do you know what? This would be a great way to start um, our our series. So I want you to sit back. Maybe John can flick some lights for us. Just watch this and let it rise in your spirit and worship as you, as you watch it and listen to it. He's a king of the Jews. That's a racial king. He's a king of Israel. That's a national king. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he is a lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. My king is the only one whom there no means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. Well, well, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in incest. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. Well, he's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in high criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. And that's my king. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. Well, he, he's the only one able to supply all of our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He star gods and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. 
Do you know him? Well, my king is a key of knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. He's a master of the mighty. He's a captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's a prince of princes. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Well, I wish I could describe him to you, but he He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you, the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone a man explaining him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Yeah! He always has been, and he always will be. I'm talking about he had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. That's my Praise the Lord. That's my Time, time is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory. Belongs to Marquis. We around here talking about black power and white power and green power, but it's God's power. Time is the power, yeah, and the glory. We try to get prestige and honor and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all His. Yes, time is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever how long is that and ever and ever and ever and ever and when you get through with all of the forevers then amen (laughs) now i'm told if you go searching and looking the original sermon was about an hour and a half. <laughs> wow. 
Yeah? This is Jesus. This is Jesus. Lord Jesus, as we look at this wonderful, glorious, majestic subject of you over these weeks, Lord Jesus, would you help us to fix our eyes on you? We very much believe in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're the Spirit of revelation. And we pray, Holy Spirit, through the heart of the Father, would you give us a spirit of revelation and understanding that we might know Jesus better. That we might come to grasp and understand our King, our Saviour, our Lord, all these great titles. Just give you today, open our hearts, open our minds, give us ears to hear and and spirits to respond to you, we pray. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, um, last week, uh, we were just looking very much out on the new year and uh, thinking about that, and uh, we we dropped into Philippians chapter 3, and just as a a quick recap, um, we heard about Paul's Uh, historic confidence, as it were, um, that he'd had in what he called the flesh. Uh, Paul talked about the flesh. He talked about his works, if you like, his pedigree, uh, his spiritual heritage, his his spiritual education, his his, uh, classical education, uh, and and all of those things he put confidence in, as it were, in the flesh. But then he says, no longer, and just to read again verses 7 and 8, he says, what was to my profit, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss, rubbish, for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I've come to realize that my heritage, my background, my works, whatever it might be, um, they're of no value. It's not where my confidence is to be found. No, those things, whatever value people might think that they have, they are nothing. I consider them rubbish. I consider them Uh, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And again in verse 10, he also says, I want to know Christ. That's his ambition. That's his drive. I want to know Christ. So I want to say to us today, if that was vital for the Apostle Paul, surely it's also vital for us. Amen? Just want to make a comment right here before we really dig into today's particular theme, if you like. I want to make a comment here about the words and the language that we often use, uh, both generally as people of faith and perhaps specifically when we're talking about our faith, and especially uh, in the day and age in which we're currently living and how people talk about spirituality. What do I, what do I mean? Well, I want to say this. We often hear the word God being used. I don't know if you've ever tried to count in a day, if you're out and about in general society and work and whatever, how many times you hear the word God. 
television, radio, newspaper, all sorts of things. Now, often it's used, of course, in the OMG, isn't it? Oh, my God. And uh, that is a subject in itself. Do people really even think about what it is that they're saying? But we're hearing God. Now, actually, to talk about God, sort of generally, is not that unusual. We hear God. It's not difficult, actually, for many of us, or unusual, perhaps, to talk about God. We might say, we might even say, I believe in God. And reaction, actually, often these days might be, yeah, fine. But to say, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, there's something more distinct about that, something very specific about that. I was reminded, Acts chapter 11, it says the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It's distinct. They, they weren't just believers. They weren't just disciples. Disciples of who? There were lots of disciples in that day and age. Now, they were called Christians. At the very least, it was a nickname. It might possibly have been quite a harsh, maybe not a swear word, but a, a, a harsh nickname, Little Christs. Little Christs or Christ's ones. Very distinct, very specific. I believe that actually in our day and age right now where we're living, one of the ways that we can actually gently witness and and sometimes be quite clear in our witness is being clear in the use of our language. So what am I saying? So rather than just saying God... And I'm speaking to myself, I'm picking myself up on this one at the moment specifically to say Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, you know we believe profoundly in the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And of course that is the Godhead and we will talk in later weeks about Jesus and the Trinity and his part in the Trinity. But I want to suggest to you that one of the ways we can just begin to witness with a, just with a simple change of language is, well... I'm asking God to help me. Imagine if you were saying to your friend, I'm asking Jesus to help me. Or you said, I'm going to ask God to help you. If you were to say, I'm going to ask Jesus to help you. Possibly the conversation might spring up. I've got this peace, you might say. Someone said, well, where, you've got this peace. Where is it from? Well, it's from God. How about saying, it's from Jesus. I will pray. I will ask Jesus. I go to church. Great thing to say. How about if you said, I follow Jesus? Do you hear what I'm saying? So just um, want you to be aware of that. I think the use of our language and using specifically to talk about God the Father to talk about Jesus the Son, to say Jesus Christ and and many other words that we can say, but to use it in a biblical context, in a faith-filled context, because, boy, we do hear it. The other day I just heard someone shout out, Jesus Christ. I clearly knew that was not the context that I would use it in. And it went right through me, and I'm glad it did go right through me. But for us to say it in the right way, I believe will be something that will catch people's attention. 
Um, I meant to bring a copy here. I've got a pile in the room. But at the back, I'm going to leave a pile. Terry Virgo, um, uh, the founder, I suppose, of New Frontiers many years ago, has recently written a little booklet, really, about Jesus. Who is Jesus? The life of Jesus. And it's meant to be something that just reminds us, gets us thinking. But it's written in such a way, it's a great little book, that you can give it to your friends. You can give it to anyone. If you get into a conversation about Jesus, you can say, here, have a read of this, see what you think. It's a great little booklet, and we bought a pile as a church. Take one, but don't just put it on your bookshelf. Take it, and then either bring it back so someone else can have it or give it away, or give it away to someone. Ask God to show you, the Father, the Holy Spirit, to lead you in using that to give away to someone else. So, one of the things that we want to talk about is to be known as the people of Jesus. Jesus people, Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? I'm a follower of Jesus. I was reminded also of Acts 14, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And I want to say to you, How are we known? Are we known? Have we been given a nickname? Oh, he's a little Christ. Would people say, would they take note? They've been with Jesus. They've met with Jesus. They're followers of Jesus. So I want to put that to you for us to be aware of as the weeks go on. They took note these men had been with Jesus. So God is very general, could mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Jesus is more specific, and I dare say challenging, particularly when we consider what I want us to look at today, which is the very, very famous and well-known phrase, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If you go back a chapter, uh, to uh, Philippians chapter 2, you will know this very well. Just going to uh, cut in today, uh, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to take as advantage or exploited, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And also just want to read from John Uh, This is after Jesus has died and has risen again from the dead. John chapter 20 and verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus had come, when he'd appeared to them. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. 
Put it into my sight. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and who have yet believed. Jesus Christ is Lord. It's a great phrase. Powerful phrase. What does it mean? What are the implications for us? Well, it starts at the the birth that we were celebrating over these last few weeks. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. The angel announces. Do you remember what he said? Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Then as you read on through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you find that Jesus is often referred to as Lord, both by those who were close to him, but also by strangers. Historically, a polite, respectful way to refer to someone like Jesus might well have been master or, or teacher. There would have been groups of uh, Uh, masters and teachers walking around with groups of disciples following them. It would have been quite normal, but it would have been a term of respect. And of course, some did refer to Jesus as master or teacher, but for many, when they encountered Jesus, there was something different. He was not just a master. He was not just a teacher. He was Lord. So whether it was lepers Blind men, desperate parents, worried friends, they come falling before Jesus, crying out. What do they cry? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. They saw something, they experienced something, they felt something, they knew that they were in the presence of someone who was higher, greater. They had not yet fully understood all of his godness. They would not understood all that he was, but they knew that they were in the presence of someone who was Lord over disease, Lord over demons, Lord even over death. Now certainly the disciples who were close to him were recognizing more and more that he was more than just a teacher, like others of the day that they encountered. In Luke chapter 5, You get the account of when Peter first hears Jesus teaching the people, teaches them with great authority. And then Peter sees him demonstrate this authority over creation with the great catch of fish. And as as a result, what does Peter do? He falls on his knees. Luke chapter 5, he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's a recognition. It's not just a term of respect. It's reverence and awe. John chapter 6, many of the disciples, uh, followers of Jesus, started to leave him. And he turns to those that are left, the 12. He says, are you going to go as well? You remember what Peter said? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. So there's a revelation that is coming. It's not just a master. It's not just a teacher. A nice man, a good man. There is something more. Much, much more. Now there are many, many examples that we could look at. So after the resurrection, that the term really starts to take on a pace. If you you do a quick count up of the last two chapters of John, I think it's 11 or 12 times the word Lord is mentioned just in two chapters. And then perhaps the greatest example 
as we, uh, before we get into the letters and the birth of the new church, is this great public declaration of Thomas uh, and, and Jesus' lordship. Um, Ashley and I were talking this week about intonation. Do you know you can sometimes, if you read a Bible verse out loud, depending on how you intone your voice, you could make it sound completely different. You can make it sound in all sorts of different ways. And so when I read it to you just now, I read it in a particular way. I could have even made it even worse, but I didn't want to. But he could have said, my Lord, my God. Do you think that's how Thomas spoke? We miss some things, um, particularly those of us who don't read the Greek and the Hebrew very well, so we trust others to help us with that. But I want to tell you that as he put his hand into Jesus' side, as he saw his hands, as he recognized who Jesus was, Thomas made a great declaration, a great theological declaration. This was not a, oh, hi, Lord. This was not a, oh, hello. This was a moment of revelation that actually in many ways came right from the very gut, the very core of Thomas. His expression is not only of Jesus' lordship, it's also of his deity. It's lost in English. But essentially, what you would have heard if you'd have been there in the room would have been this. Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. That's what you would have heard. I want you to know, Jesus didn't say, no, Thomas, no, 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 you got it all wrong. No, 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 no. You can't talk about me like that. What did Jesus say? Blessed are you that you've seen and believed. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet believe. You're even more blessed. Thomas got to see it. But for each one of us who go, Oh, my Lord. Oh, my God. Jesus declares blessing to us as we understand that revelation. So by the time we get to the first churches in Acts, this phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord, is being used to declare over and over and over again the true significance of who Jesus really is. The Apostle Paul, other writers of the letters are all using the same phrase and their declaring has continued right on down through the centuries, right on down to today, even here in this place. So, a little bit of application. As wonderful as those words are to many of us, the truth is that for much of history, Jesus Christ is Lord has been potentially the most dangerous thing you could possibly say. And in many parts of the world, numbers of parts of the world, it's still true today. There are two radical implications I want us just to look at very briefly. First, if Jesus Christ is Lord, then no one else is. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then no one else is. That's radical then, it's radical now. The Lordship of Jesus is not just a nice title, but without a lot of meaning. You see, even just to say, oh, Lord Jesus, dear Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. What is it we're saying? What does it mean? 
There's a sense of absolute authority. That's what I want to suggest to you. Absolute authority and a call to surrender. See, Jesus himself is quite clear. Luke chapter 6. These are challenging verses. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Challenge. I I find that I, I sat and looked at that verse this week and I thought, yeah. Holy Spirit, help me. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. It's authority. Surrender. I wish I could find where this quote came from, but I had a quote written down. Those who do not submit to his lordship will not survive his judgment. Now, we are people of grace. We believe in grace and the grace and mercy of God. But I believe in the truth of that. Those who will not submit to his lordship will not survive his judgment. There's authority. There's surrender that is spoken. If Jesus is not Lord, then he's not Lord. If he's Lord, then no one else is. Matthew 10, 37, Luke 9, 59. Make it clear the demands of his lordship come first, above everything else, even family. Matthew 10, 37, Luke 9, 59. You can look at those. Now, it was certainly radical in Jesus' own day. You remember, they were living under the rule of who? Who were, who were the rulers at the time? The Romans. And Caesar was declared a god. Caesar was a god. The, the early church had no democracy like we have today, where you could go and vote for who you want and whether you wanted to uh, remain or leave. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't vote on anything. Uh, it was a country, it was not a country where you could pretty much say anything that you want, although this week that has been tested and challenged, hasn't it, in so many ways. But they lived under the authority of a pagan ruler, one who was considered to be a god, whom they were literally expected to worship, to bow down and worship. So this is radical then, isn't it? If Jesus Christ is Lord then Caesar is not. And any rebellion against that was swiftly crushed. The Romans were merciless in that sense, often by crucifixion. We forget it was them who invented crucifixion, very, very cruel uh, ways of torture and suffering, and other terrible forms of death. Caesar is God. Caesar is Lord. No, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's radical. It's radical. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then no one else is. I want to say it's radical today. Certainly in my lifetime and for many of you, I think of something like communism. I certainly grew up with that. I remember as a teenager reading books about Christians that were going in and out of places like Romania and Albania and Russia, obviously, and China and and so on and so forth. If Jesus Christ is Lord, then the Communist Party is not. Hundreds of thousands of Russians and Chinese Christians imprisoned and died because of that truth and actually continue to do so today. Many stories of persecution, beatings, starvation, horrific torture 
and death. And certainly in parts of China, Pakistan, other countries in the Middle East today, to declare Jesus Christ as Lord is to be utterly radical and potentially will cost you your life. Now, we may not be asked to die for Christ. And so sometimes that can get watered down or weakened. But I want to say to you today, and I recognize this for myself, the God of tolerance, the God of tolerance is making higher and higher demands on our allegiance. We are being asked to, to tolerate, to, to generalize, and, uh, and so on. I want to ask the question, how long will it be before someone in this church or someone that we know well makes a stand and says, I will not share the lordship of Christ with the God of tolerance or acceptance and loses their job for it or their house or so on. I don't think we're actually very far off from that. In fact, there are numbers of tests happening for different people already. See, if Jesus is Lord, then no one else is. The second implication, just quickly, is just as challenging. We picked up on it when I talked about the incarnation just before Christmas. It was announced by Thomas, picked up by the early church, by Paul here in Philippians. Jesus Christ is Yahweh, the Hebrew name of God. Jesus is God. If he's Lord, then he's God. The Greek word kurios, often used in the New Testament for Lord, was the word the Jews used throughout the Old Testament to translate the word Yahweh. We sang it, our first song we sang, I think, today. Paul did this many times. I think we need to hear it. Uh, He would take standard Old Testament scriptures, passages about Yahweh, and he would make great declarations to show they were also about Jesus. So Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, uh, our our God, Yahweh is one. Okay, we hear that echo, don't we? 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things come and from whom we live, There is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. Everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. Romans 10, verse 9 and 13. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isaiah 54, uh, uh, 22 and 23. I am God, there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will uh, will swear. And there I am slipping already into Philippians chapter 2. God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Every knee in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The great claim of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ is Yahweh. He's God. 
I spoke about that on the Incarnation on December the 9th. If you want to dig into that, if you weren't here, please listen to that as we really dug into what does it mean that Jesus was God. He's been given the name above every name, above every earthly ruler, Caesar, President, Prime Minister, also over every heavenly parent authority. To quote that great old phrase, I dare to use a cliche, but if he is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. He's the one whom Philippians said, every knee must bow. He's Yahweh, God himself. He's rich in love, in compassion and mercy. God so loved the world that he gave us his son. God made man crucified in incredible obedience to make a way for us to be restored to the Father. And because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name. Every day, every, one day, every knee will bow. One day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right now, as his people, we have the privilege, we have the joy of surrendering our lives to his lordship. It's challenging for us. What does that mean day to day? As I think about uh, my life, my actions, my speech, my money, my time, my marriage, my family, my relationships, I bring it under the lordship of Christ. Now, we could go into a lot of practicality of what that means, and maybe in the weeks to come, as we look at the teaching of Jesus, we will, as we will see how Jesus calls people to discipleship, to a discipline, to a, to a way of life, of a way of walking. But it starts with an understanding that he is Lord and that he is God. That's why I wanted to start with that today, that we surrender to one who is, yes, our Savior, one who is, yes, merciful and loving. But he is Lord. He's Lord. It means we will be distinctive. I believe we'll be increasingly distinctive in this day and age. We will stand out. The word radical may even be used to think that the word radical might become almost a sort of a a bitter word, a, a swear word. Well, they're a bit radical. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. It's not just God. It's Jesus. Lord Jesus. The one who is worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise. As we surrender to him, he will be lifted up. His name will be exalted. And I believe men and women will be drawn to him. As he's lifted up, he will draw men and women, young people, children. He will draw them to himself. It's as we lift him up. Acts 14, 13, again, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, just as we finish, we've got communion tables here. I'd love us to take communion. Let's perhaps just close our eyes for a moment. I have a feeling that the children may come back in uh, from the scout hut in a few moments' time, but let's just... Ask ourselves the question, is he Lord? What does it mean for you, for Jesus to be Lord? Is he Lord of all those bits, but not of that bit? 
Why would you not give him that bit, that part, that area? Is he Lord of all? I invite you as you come to the communion table just to take a moment to confess before him. If there's areas in your life you say, you are Lord, I love that name, I believe, but I want to surrender again. I surrender my life, I surrender my money, I surrender my relationship, I whatever it might be that the Holy Spirit would put his finger on in your life right now. As we look out at the beginning of this year, as we step out, as we move into this great theme, as we dig into the wonderful character of Jesus, let's begin with that fresh understanding, he is Lord. I encourage you, even today, as you take communion, don't let God or Jesus just be a reference point, a part of your life, but a place of surrender where you're trusting in him, leaning upon him, turning to him for everything. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you that on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it. And after you'd broken it, you gave thanks. You said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, in the same way, Lord, you took the cup and you said, this is the cup in the new covenant. It's a new agreement. It's a specific and, and, and full relationship with me. You and I, relationship together. Sealed in my blood. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was given. We thank you for your blood that was shed. Help us to be reminded again of all that that means as we take communion together. I pray your blessing upon this body. Pray for us as we gather to worship and pray over the next three nights together. We want to see Jesus. We want to encounter you, Lord Jesus. We don't want to just play at church. We, we, we long to meet with you. Help us to have our eyes fixed on you, we pray. In your precious name. Amen.